get this done. Jack, do you want to just uh, slip in that you're going to head out at 425 so that we don't? I, I yeah, I, I should mention this. I have to head out around like 430, 425 uh, for another prior commitment. Uh, so sorry to leave on you, but. I'll be, yeah. I'll take over from there. Yeah. So. Mallory is very like able to do it. <laughs> Overqualified. Right. How's that look? Coming through? Looks really good. Yep. Yep, we can see everything. Very good. Well, thank you. I'll go ahead and, and get started on it then. So um, this is actually um, a project that I started working on years, maybe maybe like three or four years ago. Um, the University of Delaware uh, has a professor there named Professor Doug Tallamy. And Doug Tallamy and his master's and doctoral students had been uh, doing a lot of research in Delaware and surrounding areas for well over a decade, 10 to 15 years or so. And they had uh, seen, found that they'd been able to document the loss of our uh, native species in Delaware. And I heard a presentation that Dr. Talame gave at the University of Delaware um, back in probably 2015 or so. And I was just really blown away from what I heard because that's, that wasn't something that I was aware of. And um, I thought that I was environmentally aware. And then the fact that we had such a, a collapse of our ecosystem going on and I didn't know it was really alarming. And I thought, well, um, what, I need to be able to do something. So um, shortly after hearing that presentation, I was elected to office and I thought, you know what? I think we're going to look into that because it was, I found it to be really alarming. Um, so the first thing that I did was I created what was called the statewide ecological extinction task force. Um, so let's go back to, let's take a look at what that document, what Jug Tallamy and his graduate students found out. They have a book called Bringing Nature Home. And I have a copy of the book here, which you probably can't see unless you look in the little where I am. Um, and what they were able to document is that 41% of our bird species that depend on forest cover are absent, 40% of our native plant species are threatened, extirpated means it's left or they've already left Delaware, 31% of our native reptiles and amphibians have been, long, have been lost, 20% of our native fish have been lost, and there's been a 50% reduction and population sizes for many of our bird species within a span of 50 years. And this is just kind of another look at it from like a, a graphic viewpoint, oops, a graphically what it looks like. And that, I just, I just found that to be alarming because we're talking about like the bottom half of our, of our ecosystem, you know, our food chain from the plant, the insects, plants, uh, up to birds and, and even working in some of the small mammals as well. So what I did was I created the Statewide Ecological Extinction Task Force. It's really important when you wanna pass legislation that you make sure that you do what you can to position it in a, such a place that it's going to pass. So you wanna make sure that you get the different folks around the table all on the same page that there is a problem and then together discussing what the solutions could be. So in this case, um, here are the members of the task force. They're really divided into three groups of people purposefully. 
There's one group of people are the environmental people. So the folks that are really tuned in environmentally, that's the Delaware Nature Society, Nature Conservancy, the Ornithological Society, um, that, that group. Then you've got a, a group representing kind of the, the commercial or business interests, the Farm Bureau, Nursery and Landscape Industry, Association of Realtors, that group, because they're the ones that usually very, they always kind of look in sideways about, oh God, this is a new environmental you know, regulation. What's it, you know, what's it gonna cost me kind of thing. And then in the middle, you have the government folks. So the government and higher education people. So in this case, you've got uh, the Department of Agriculture, University of Delaware. Um, we had uh, all three of the county governments involved because anytime you talk about land use, land use is under the jurisdiction of the county government. So you wanna make sure you've got them involved. And I included a member of each of the four caucuses in the general assembly. So right at the top, you see legislators and it lists me and some people there. There was a Democrat and Republican from the Senate and a Democrat and Republican from the House. Purposefully because you wanna make sure that as we go through this process of building legislation, deciding whether there's a problem, what the solution ought to be in building the legislation that you then got partners in the General Assembly that's gonna help you get it passed. So that's a member of the task force. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what everybody looked like. And we spent a, lot of, a whole lot of time together. Uh, we met nine times between July and November. Came, we, there, was a, there was a lot of vigorous debate because there were a lot of walls that had to, that had to be broken down. Um, and you can do that, um, but it just takes some time. You know, you just have to, everybody had to get together, first of all, and decide whether or not we agreed with the, with the research that Dr. Talamy and the University of Delaware did. And they, they decided that yes, after having taken a look at the, the data and the science, they did agree that we were in fact experiencing um, a collapse of, of, our, of our food webs, you know, our, our ecosystem in this, and it was a problem. And so they came up with about 80 different recommendations and divided up in these nine categories education, incentivizing private landowners, government leading by example, legislation affecting development, funding the open space program, which is where the state buys open space, prohibiting the sale of invasive species, deer management, recovering America's Wildlife Act, and then the formation of this Delaware Native Species Commission in order to implement all those 80 recommendations. So let's get back to like substantively, what's going on with our native species? What's causing the problem? Well, what they found was that uh, much of our food chain, including 90% of the insects are specialists. It's not, bugs don't eat everything. Not a, a particular type of, of bug is going uh, to, its food source is linked to the food sources that it's been near and around for millennia. And what eats those bugs is also specialized to the type of bug as well. So um, it's a things are a lot more specialized than we had than we had thought. Okay, so here's the the idea of specialization. So these you've got a, a caterpillar that only eats milkweed that then is a monarch butterfly. The caterpillars that are um, that become monarch butterflies don't eat a whole lot more than milkweed. 
So you can plan all sorts of things. Or as soon as you get rid of milkweed, you've got a problem in that you're not going to be able to attract monarch butterflies. Here's another one, the tiger, uh, black swallowtail um, butterfly. Only eats things that are part of the carrot family, which is carrots and parsley and other sorts of, of plants like that. Um, and like, remember what I just said, 90% of these insects rely on just a few plant lineages within which they have evolved. Those are our native plants. And those are the ones that we're losing. Um, Non-native plants don't supply that food source for the bugs. Um, and you see those, Dr. Talamy and his students, one of the things that they did was they tested that, they tested that hypothesis. So they went out in the field and they took a look at a, a large oak tree, or not a large, about a 10 foot tall oak tree that they had there. And um, they counted the number of bugs and caterpillars, different types of bugs and caterpillars that were on that particular oak tree. And then they compared the number to the same, uh, same size Bradford pear tree, which is the white ones that you see in the bottom and that you see around here all the time. They are not native. Oak trees are native, Bradford pears are not. So the difference was on the Bradford pear, here it's, it's a maple, but on the Bradford pear, what they found was over 400 different types of, of caterpillars and bugs that were on that healthy oak tree. It wasn't an oak tree that was in, uh, you know, in distress, it was healthy. It was supporting the ecosystem and it wasn't, it wasn't dying. Guess how many they found on the Bradford pear? It wasn't like 200, 100, 50, 10, it's four, four. So we're talking like a 1%. It, 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 was, it was supplying 1% of the food source that an equivalent size native plant was providing. That's the difference between a native and an invasive plant, one that is um, just not supplying the food source that we need. And we've brought these these types of plants into our environment on purpose because bugs don't eat them. I mean, how many times do you go someplace you're like, oh, I'm going to get this type of plant or you're, uh, you see the signs on it, pest free. Well, that ought to be a clue now, a big red flag that it doesn't belong here. The reason it's pest free is it's not a food source like it's supposed to be to support our ecosystem. And so a lot of these things that we have brought here um, over the past 300 years or so now, many of them from England, like English ivy. I'll show you some photos of that. We all think of that as being a native plant. It's only been here for, you know, since the 1700s. Native plants are things that have been here for thousands of years, tens of thousands of years, having evolved with the, uh, with the other insects and birds that are here in our area. So what's an invasive plant? This is, the, this is the statutory definition of what an invasive plant is. It's, uh, it's a plant that is, results in widespread dispersal and establishment. It can outcompete the other species in the same area. It grows very quickly and it can become established here in, a, in our state. This is a picture that I took leaning out of my car window, driving south on Route 1 in Southern Newcastle County. And you'll be able to see all of this in about two months. 
If you take a drive just about anywhere on Route 13, Route uh, uh, 95, one, all of the white plant trees that you see there are those Bradford pears that I showed you in the bottom of one of my previous slides that we were talking about. None of them were planted there. Not a single one was planted there. And all of those, which now represent very little in the way of a food source for all the insects in the area, they have all supplanted the oaks and the maples and the willows and all the things that ought to be growing there to support our ecosystem. This is exactly uh, what we're talking about when we talk about an invasive plant and what's it, what it's doing to displace the food system. This is why we have a problem. So what's the difference between native plants, non-natives and invasive plants? There's really two types. There's native plants and there's non-native plants. Invasive plants are a type of non-native plant, okay? So there's native plants supply full vitamins and minerals, a great food source. So here we got a wonderful plate of scallops and you know couscous with vegetables and all this. In the middle, we have non-native plant species. They still provide some level of food, just not very much, but they're not invasive. So they're not going to just take over. These are the plants that you buy at the plant store, you bring home, and you're not gonna find them escaping from your yard and into the nearby you know, forested areas. But they're also not really healthy for our environment either. It's like you trying to live on Twix bars and Reese cups. And then you've got invasive plant species which have, provide really no, no nutritional value at all and they take up space. So what should we be looking at? If we look at our native oaks, cherries, willows, birches, I've listed them all up here. These, those alone supply 75% of the food that drives the food webs in the state of Delaware. So this is what we ought to be planting. If you wanna plant a tree, these are the trees you ought to be planting. Oaks, cherries, willows, birches, maples, elms, blueberries, alders, and pines. That's 75%. What we found too is that we don't have enough money to buy all the open spaces anymore uh, in the state of Delaware. What we have to do is restore a lot of the built landscapes that we have, get rid of the invasives that are there, get rid of the natives, I mean, get rid of the, the non-natives and plant the, um, plant the native species. So how much, how bad is this really? What can we really expect? Well, what they found at the University of Delaware is that there's a one-to-one -one correspondence between the number of species that will survive human habitat destruction and the percentage of habitat that we leave undisturbed. So if you disturb 50% of the land for our use, either through lawns or ag fields or shopping centers or housing developments, we should expect a 50% decline in the species that inhabit that land. So how much have we disturbed at this point? Um, research has shown that we've disturbed 95 to 97% in the lowest, uh, in the lower 48 states. So we've done a lot of land disturbing activity so we have lost a lot of our, our native plants that way. And not native, just native plants, but native species. Um, so this is basically what I was talking about before. We need to rebuild our, um, 
our current environment areas, not just purchase open space, which is great. We'll purchase as much as we possibly can. But the bigger issue is everyone taking responsibility for your front yard, your backyard, your community's open space. That's the way that we're really going to get ahead of this. The major drivers of extinction are habitat loss, habitat fragmentation, climate change, and the displacement of the um, of our native species. So how hard is it? If you're like, okay, this is great. I wanna go, I'm gonna do the right thing. I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna buy some native plants. How hard is that to do? Well, I actually had um, a number of interns that were working for me in my office in the fall of 2017. And I said, let's go out and find out. So they surveyed five Delaware retail establishments. They went to Willie's, Lowe's, Mid-County Material Supply and Garden Center, Home Depot, and Countryside Nursery. And they actually did an inventory of all of the things there. And what they found was that 77% of what was being sold in those, um, in those stores are non-native and, and, and parts of them invasive. Only 23% of what is being sold at a retail level is, is native. So it's hard, to, it can be hard to get native plants. On the, um, that's the retail, at the, at the wholesale level, Mount Cuba did um, a similar study prior to the one that I did in uh, 2017 at the wholesale level, they found exactly the same thing. About only about 25% of what's being sold at the wholesale level is native with everything else being non-native and, and invasive. That's why we have so much of a problem. People, people want the non-native stuff. They want the invasive thing. They're getting used to it because it's pest free, right? You don't have to worry about deer eating it and all that. Here's what they look like when you go, I'll show you some more photos. This is Barberry. This is actually from, uh, I think it was Willie's that I took these pictures. Barberry, uh, Privet right here. Very, it's very easy to buy uh, invasive plants. Here's some of the most popular ones. Um, you might recognize some of the names, maybe not. I have some photos that I'm gonna show you next. So here's, if you've ever been to a, an office building or a commercial area, particularly offices, they love Chinese silver grass. It just looks so pretty, but it's an invasive plant and it takes over the woods next to it. Common periwinkle, you see that a lot. You buy them at, at home and garden stores. This is what it looks like in the open space next to your development when the seeds are picked up and blown by the wind and picked up by the birds. Barberry. People like to plant barberry because um, they're thorny and you plant them like in your yard to keep the burglars out from, from getting into your windows. That's what I always heard that it was for. Well, that's what it looks like when you plant them. That's the color, different colors that they come in depending on the time of year. This is what it looks like in the woods next to you when you plant them in your yard. <laughs> Burning bush, another one. Everybody loves burning bush. It's all pretty and red. And then there's kind of a blurry picture of the woods next to the burning bush because that's what happens when those seeds are planted. Bradford pear, beautiful tree-lined street. And I've already shown you. This is another picture that I took. It's all Bradford pear. None of them, and none of them were planted. English ivy. Who hasn't seen this? 
This is where it came from. This stuff isn't, it did, it did, that's not natural. When you see that, though the English ivy that has, is, you'll find in the community right next door to it is what caused this. Sometimes, in, usually in the house right next door. Japanese pachysandra, here's another one. So how easy, you can buy these online pretty well. Kudzu, here's another invasive plant. Um, you can buy 20 seeds for $4.99 so that your yard can look like this. This is what actually looks right next, right next to the yard that was planted with kudzu. There it is in the wintertime. When it's established, it grows a, a foot a day and it was actually introduced to the United States in 1876 um, by, uh, for farmers to use it to reduce soil erosion. Bamboo. People love to plant bamboo. You can go to all, all sorts of places and get bamboo um, and buy it online. And then that's what it looks like when it escapes. This is uh, Fraser Road in Glasgow. So right along Fraser Road. And it is incredibly difficult to, um, to stop. The U.S. Department, uh, the U.S. Forest Service actually uh, paired with the University of Delaware to take a look at what's going on in these little smaller forested areas in Delaware, what's actually growing there. And they found that most of the forested areas are smaller than uh, a Best Buy parking lot. Um, and so they looked at um, 50 different forests in Delaware and Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and what's growing there to get a sense for what's going on in the forested areas. They weren't looking necessarily at invasive versus native, that, that was part of it, but they wanted to find out like what's really going on in these little urban forested areas. And that's kind of where they were. This is the University of Delaware on the left, the Newark area. What they found was that 60, 59%, so almost 60% of what you see when you're looking into these little small forested areas are non-native, and invasive plants. Over here, the red one right at the top, multiflora rose, autumn olive, burning bush, privet, and bush honeysuckle, those are all invasive. So they're on all invasive plants. And that forms, this is the logarithmic scale. So that forms the vast majority of what you're seeing in these small areas. This is what it looks like. I mean, you've probably seen it. What's a problem with that? Along, not just is it a, it's a problem not only because it's displacing the natural food sources. So we're seeing a reduction in native plants. We're seeing a reduction in the insects. We're seeing a reduction in the birds and the mammals and all that. It's also a problem because in these areas that are invaded by um, invasive plants, there's a higher degree of ticks and not just ticks, it's the ticks that, are, that carry the pathogen for Lyme disease. So we're kind of in this weird thing now. We, we wanna get people to get outside, wanna get, get into the woods and get back to nature. But the problem is now we've got a lot of these little forested areas, which are largely invasive plants that have ticks and that are the ticks that carry Lyme disease. And so that's a, that's a human health problem now that's associated with invasive plants. This is just a kind of a graphic explanation of that. So what can you do? Um, kind of understand the crucial role of the suburban garden, which is what you're planning in your own front yard and backyard. That's the most important, really, that is like the big thing to get out of this is that you can control this in your own yards. Um, go inventory your yard, figure out what is invasive 
um, what is native, get rid of the invasives and, and, and replace them with the native plants, and then take a look at the community's open space and do the same thing with the community's open space. I have an initiative right now that I'm working with many different communities. One of the most expensive things that communities pay for is cutting the grass in their open space. It costs a lot less to let that area become meadow. So we're getting a number of them to decide to um, switch over to a meadow and, and have the technical resources to help them do that. Learn to figure out you know, what it is that's growing around you. This is me. I went to the open space in my backyard. I thought, wow, what is this big thing that's growing here? It's, it's big and lush. It's the first thing that comes out. You'll often find that the invasive plants are the ones that come out first in the spring. They get a jump on everything else. I found that that's like one of the telltale signs. And this is, a, this is an example of one. This is a bush honeysuckle, which is, which is invasive. Um, again, this is just what I was saying, kind of learn what's, learn what's growing in your yard and, um, and become familiar with it. The number one thing that you'll find is multiflora rose. Just like, remember that chart that I just showed you where they were looking at the 60%, at the 59% of what they saw in the forest was non-native and it was top one was multiflora rose. Well, here it is. Multiflora rose is the, is the long vines with the thorns on them. It was, it, it's not native, it was brought here in the 1700s. So we're talking about these things brought here a long time ago. It was brought here to be used as uh, an ornamental because it was pretty. They used it for erosion control to, um, uh, in many, many instances and as a, uh, a living fence for livestock because livestock's not gonna be in the middle of a bunch of thorns. So they were, they were using that, but the problem is that it's invasive and it took over everything, as you can see. I mean, it, it takes over things now. It's just a little bit of multi, multiflora rose. It's evaded a lot of habitats and right of ways. A single plant can produce up to a half a million seeds annually. Um, and it can continue to produce for 20 years, even after you remove the mature plant. So these things are, um, they're, they're pretty serious. And this is what they look like. So early, again, early in the spring, you go out, what are the first things you're going to see? Well, you're going to see the bush honeysuckle that I just showed you and a whole bunch of multiflora rose, none of which belongs here from the 1700s. So what do we need to do here? Again, some of the, the large categories of things that we're looking at, deer management, um, education campaigns, government leading by example, banning the sale of invasive species, um, incentivizing responsible land management and funding open space preservation. So um, as I'd mentioned, we formed the Delaware Native Species Commission. This is a commission that meets, um, they meet every other month, but they have subcommittees that meet in the, in the off months, because a lot of times, as with most things, you know, a lot of the work gets done at the subcommittee level. And it looks almost exactly like the Extinction Task Force. Again, purposefully, because if you just get the, uh, the folks that, here's the problem. If you have a commission where everyone thinks ex exactly the same with the, you know, they're all environmentalists and they're all ready to move forward with environmental um, initiatives, it's very difficult to get legislation passed because the, the General Assembly doesn't look like that. So if you're putting something together with the idea that you may have to change laws to get this to work, you have to make sure that you're including the people that are generally gonna be with you, the people that are gonna have 
opposite opinions, and then this group in the middle that can serve as kind of the, the moderating influence. Um, this is just the, the top 10 things that I'd gone over a little bit earlier. It's just in much more detail. So I'll, I'm happy to, to, to um, share this whole presentation with you if you would like. I just don't wanna bore you to death. Um, so what should we be growing? Let's look at some pictures. So here, these are natives. These are some of our native plants that you've probably seen. These are the good guys, you know, Echinacea, also known as purple coneflower, New England asters, New York ironweed, blazing star, black-eyed Susans, and Joe Pye weed. I mean, that's that's just a handful of them because I thought I'd, I'd need some pictures. Um, again, some more native plants that you've seen in wet areas. Um, this I, I included this slide just to show you the difference in the number of caterpillars on the different types of trees. So people, folks have actually gone out and, and documented this. So you look at the very top under um, the woody, uh, the woody herbaceous plants, you see the oak tree, 463 different species of insects thrive on oak trees. You look underneath that plum, cherry, peach, and almond. Again, those are huge um, food sources for the, the, uh, the insects that we have, which then are the huge food sources for the birds and other, other mammals. And then you just follow that all the way down to elm, pine, you know, just continue on all the way down to dogwood. All of those are native species. We should be planting all of those things. The other side where the other column called herbaceous, that's just about different, that those are things other than trees that are also native that we should be planting. And then the number of caterpillars that um, survive on them. So um, I wrote a bill that bans the sale of invasive species. And that bill was then considered by the Delaware Native Species Commission. It was discussed, it was debated, um, and, and then it was settled on as to what are the species that we're very confident about as of this point in time that are invasive enough that we need to ban them from sale. No sale, transport, distribution, anything of any cultivars, seeds, plants, nothing. And this is the list of them. A lot of them you, I showed you pictures of. Clearly the, um, the, uh, the Bradford pear is on there. I mean, that is like one of the top ones. You see, also known as a calorie pear. Also Norway maple, the barberry, everything that I showed you earlier in those photos will be banned from sale. Now the nursery and landscape um, uh, companies have asked that this can take place. It takes effect as of next July so that it gives them time to get new contracts in place for with new suppliers. And here, here's the, here are, is a handful of those 30 or so that I just showed you that you will no longer be able to buy um, come July of 2022. And the governor is going to sign my bill, so it will become law at the, um, there's an environmental summit that's being put on by the Delaware Native Species Commission. And it's actually, it's over three days, three Wednesdays in, um, in March. So the first one is March the 17th is the day that he's gonna sign the bill and everybody will talk about it. And then there's some resources, some additional resources if you wanna get an idea of what the Native Species Commission's doing. If you wanna actually see like 
what are the native plants that we have? What are invasive? Go to some of the plants for a livable Delaware, then Delaware Invasive Species Council. Um, and then you can type in your, your zip code to find native plants for the area down the bottom. So that's, that's my presentation condensed into 32 minutes. Yeah, so I had, uh, I didn't know about any of that. So it's really interesting to hear about. Um, and I know like personally that I have in my neighborhood, even like a bunch of these plants and I like had no idea that they were harmful. Um, so I was wondering if at like garden stores at the places where you purchase these, how do you know like what, like where you're buying stuff from? Like if you find a flower you like, how do you know where it comes from? Well, we're right on the cutting edge, okay? This is, this is cutting edge as far as the education about what's going on and how to solve it. So the bill that I've written is going to require that at these garden stores now, that all the, first of all, that they're not gonna be allowed to sell invasives and that those that are, that are going to, are potentially invasive and that we think that at some point in the near future may very well end up on this list are gonna have warning tags on them. So that's how you'll know at, at the point of sale. Until that period of time, you'll have to do exactly what I do, is when I go into these stores and I ask them, well, like, can you show me your, I'm looking for native plants. Where do you have your native plants? Well, generally the first thing that they're gonna do is they're gonna be like, well, I don't know. Like, let me find out if we have, they, they actually don't carry a list. Like they're gonna have their list of inventory, but they don't know, you know, generally they don't know what they're selling. So they're not gonna be able to tell you what, what they will do and what you'll probably have to do as well is get out your phone and look, you know, put in the name of the plant. Is, is this native for my area? You know, there's a, there's a native plant list. Now, a lot of them, um, well, I shouldn't say a lot of them. Um, some are now kind of getting on board with this and they're, they're having certain areas of their store that maybe will be devoted to native plants. And so you can go to that area, but unless you actually, unless they have that there, the only way that you're gonna know whether you're getting something native or not um, is to look it up on your phone. I personally had a question in getting the community involved with kind of, you know, realizing that this, these invasive plants are a problem. What would be your first ideal step for your everyday civilians and communities to be taking to ensure a stop to spreading invasive species? Education. You know, how do we get the word out to people about this? I, you know, I take, I take that little show on the road, usually out, outside of COVID, I like twice a month, I take this to schools, to master gardeners, to Department of Natural Resources. It's posted on the native species website. You know, I got out there to try to spread the word along with others on the native species council that, that, that are doing the same thing. A really big part of this is education, which is why they're doing the big environmental summit coming up on in March, you know, that's another big part of it. It's getting the word out that this is a problem because most people just don't know. I mean, like I was saying, you know, I, I was an environmental lawyer for 20 years. For 10 years prior to that, I was an environmental scientist. If anybody should have known, you'd have thought I at least had a heads up that something was going on, but I didn't know. 
you know, so there, it's not like there's, it's not, it's nobody's fault, but this is stuff that now we're beginning to see that we've been, we've been having a, a, a degrading effect on our environment and things are starting to not go right. And stuff is getting, stuff has gotten out of whack. So the biggest part of this is education, really getting to know what is native, what is, what is native for your area. If you know what's native for your area, everything else is not native, right? You don't even have to worry about that part. Just go, what are the native plants for my area? And there are resources, I, like I gave them at the, at the end there, they just put Delaware native plants. If you go in, and you, there are resources that you can, um, that you can you can find there, and that will that will tell you. There's a lot of printed and online resources. I had a question about even if we ban them, how will we stop the spread of the invasive species that are already there? Because won't, won't they keep spreading over time? Yeah. So it seems like every time I pass a bill, like it triggers me to think, okay, I got two more that I need to do because I now need to, I, I, we need to handle the, um, the eradication aspect as well. I didn't put that together in this bill because there's a big price tag associated with it. And we have to figure out how big that price tag is. So right now, the Department of Natural Resources, the Department of Agriculture, and the Delaware Department of Transportation have programs that they spend money on to eradicate invasive species. Um, and there are volunteer groups throughout the state that on weekends get together and go into White Clay Creek and they go into the different parks and areas in the state of Delaware to pull invasive species. None of that's coordinated. I only know it because I've been doing this for a while and now talking to people, but there's no list of any of those folks. And the best that I could do at this point is put together the Native Species Commission and have DelDOT and DENREC and the Department of Natural Resources on there, along with these groups that we're pulling in. And my next, one of my next things that I want to do is, you know, as with any bill, you do the research first, find out who all these people are, get the list of them, find out how much money we're spending as a state already eradicating them, and then making sure in the budget process that we're increasing the amount that goes to that and that they're, they're looking at the right places to begin, uh, that they're looking at the right places when they're doing the eradication. Because you're exactly right. We can ban that, we can ban the future sale, but these things are, it's like an overflowing bathtub. You know, we've turned off the spigot, but that's, it's still going. We got a long way to go. And we also have to talk about how do you update the list? Because that was another thing, you know, um, I couldn't put that in this bill because this bill was as far as I could go to get it passed at the time. And now we go to the next part. Well, okay, now that we pass the bill, this is like the proverbial camel with its nose under the tent. Now that we pass this bill, we got to have some money to get rid of the stuff that's here. And we need to talk about how we're going to update it because there's a whole lot more than 30 invasive species that are here. You know, we have to continue on that road. And I'm, I'm uh, hopeful that a lot of the work and, and, and technical expertise on the Native Species Commission is going to be helpful with that. That was a great question. Yeah. Yeah, we just we just topped the spigot right now. Does anyone else have any questions? Anyone from the group want to ask a question? Go ahead, Lou. I was going to say, I have a second question. I know that you said 
that when you're like an environmental lawyer and scientist that you wish you had like a heads up, how long do you think it takes for people to be aware that these new species of plants that they're bringing over become invasive? How, how long does it take people to become aware? Yeah, like you said that you didn't realize that until like very recently that this is getting out of hand. How long do you think it takes to develop for people to start realizing? It depends on your public information campaign, the size and vigorous nature of your public information campaign, really. How do you get out? I, I would like to see at all of the places where people buy plants, there, there should be information that's there that tells you automatically these are native, these are invasive and why the invasives are bad. We've talked about having cards like at the Native Species Commission has talked about um, putting together cards and some we do have some um, that we're going to have at these point of sale retail places so that that information so when people go there they'll be able to get a card. oh wait but I really wanted to get that well okay it's invasive and here's why that's bad right there at the point of sale because sometimes they're not going to think about it until then they're, they're, they're not going to be ready to hear it like you don't First of all, a lot of people don't go to the store going, I want to get a such and such plant. They, you know, I'm going to get a, a, a Bradford pear. They're like, I want to go and get a tree that looks pretty and that's going to bloom in the color that I want and maybe gets to be a certain size. So when they go there, they don't have like the name in mind. So they're going to go pick it up, go to the, um, go to the checkout line and then at the checkout line, there'll be these, okay, these are invasive. Or first of all, you're not gonna be able to buy that anymore. But for the ones that are that are um, on the warning list, they're on the warning list and here's why. And you might not be able to buy them in the future. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting to hear about all this and like the plans coming up for the future, like prevention of it. Cause I think it's just, I mean, it's such a fast moving problem. You know, even as we start to ban the sale of it, it's just still like there's so many. I had no idea that, you know, plants in my own yard were invasive. And I feel like even if a lot of people did know, they wouldn't know why that was bad. So what I'm hearing is like a lot of just getting the word out is what needs to happen next. And just letting people just like the common garden store shopper know like what they're buying when they when they're um, shopping for something in particular. Right. And once it starts to really affect public health, that's when more people than just environmentally minded people get involved. That's why, that's why it's important to get out information about Lyme disease. I mean, how many times have you heard that the incidence of Lyme disease is increasing in Delaware and we don't really know why? I, I, I've heard it a lot. Well, now we have now we have a hint, right? Now we're starting to put things together. You know. We're not really in control here. We like to think that we are, but we're not, we're not really, you know? We, we need to do the best that we can to make our living environment as, um, as healthy as possible. In the end, you know, mother nature's in control and we're only gonna be able to do what we're able to do. And if it comes back to bite us, it's our fault. And that's where we're at right now, I mean, Mother Nature's in control. We're not. We're trying to get all these things that are that we've introduced into the system so that they don't come back out and bite us in such a way. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I know as a group, we'll talk about what we can do um, within our group to get the word out and to let people know what's going on. Um, does anyone else have any questions before we wrap up? 
Yeah, I had yeah. one more question. I I wanted to ask, what do we do if we put this ban in place? What do we do about people who go out of state and buy a plant or buy an invasive species and bring it into Delaware? It bans the transport of them as well. They won't be able to do that. <clears throat> they won't. Yeah, definitely. Um, the, the enforcement piece is another piece that we kind of have to work government into because I can tell you that the Department of Agriculture, who is the enforcement authority in this, are loath to go on to private property and tell somebody you got to cut down that tree or dig up that plant. They don't want to do that. They found in the, they, they used to do that. They did that in the past. But here's what happens. They did it with bamboo. Um, they found that sometimes neighbors don't get along. And sometimes when they don't get along, they do things to irritate each other and there is a neighbor war. And so somebody would plant bamboo that's then on, makes its way to somebody else's yard, or maybe it was planted already and these neighbors don't like each other, so they're finger pointing. And the Department of, of Agriculture ended up at the same collection of homes, spending all of their resources in a neighbor versus neighbor dispute because these guys didn't like each other and there's bamboo in the middle of it and bamboo is really hard to get rid of. So what the, what, what the Department of Agriculture is ready to do now, they already are going to all of the places that sell plants. So anything that happens at that point of sale, they are going to be on top of that. Other than that, when it comes to transport, you could call and then they can go to wherever that happens to be, the person's, I'm sure we will have to figure that part out, right? how willing the Department of Agriculture is to then go to someone saying, hey, you just bought 15 you know, calorie pear trees, you need to get rid of them. I can tell you, if that's the developer doing that and he's bought all those trees because he wants to line the streets or, or a new shopping center with it, I'm gonna be all over that. And I will make sure that the Department of Agriculture and somebody gets out there to yank those trees and put the right ones in. But a lot of it just comes down to individual actions like that. Yeah, I mean, I know I've said a lot of times, but like, it's really good to hear all this and like get a handle on it myself. Cause I know that I can talk to people in my neighborhood, my household about like what we're gonna do about this personally. And we'll definitely talk as a group about what we can do it before I wrap up. Are there any last questions from the group? No, okay, cool. Um, Senator Hansen, I was gonna ask if you could hang back for a minute with the other vice president and the secretary and I to have a conversation about something and everyone else you're good to go, if that works yes. for you, Senator. Okay, cool. Thank you guys for coming. Thank you, bye. Bye.